Greetings to each of you fellow Weavertown members this morning. I miss seeing your faces here, but I'm glad that we were able to assemble in this way. Thank you for joining us, and thanks too for the efforts everyone is making to make these online services possible. I also welcome everyone that is from beyond the Weavertown congregation who is joining us here. I'm glad that you chose to join us as well, and I'm glad that we're able to serve you in this way. And I pray that God's blessing and spirit and presence will be felt in each of your homes today and throughout the days ahead. Many of you are aware that I've been preaching a series of sermons through the, through the Sermon on the Mount, and I've chosen to put that on pause this morning and to preach a message in response to the current events that we find ourselves facing. These events have uh, been addressed briefly a few times through these services, but we haven't really addressed it directly in a message as such, so I've chosen to do that here this morning. The title that I've given to the sermon is, In Times Like These, A Biblical Response to the Global Crisis. And there will be two parts to the message. First of all, we'd like to look at an example in the Bible of a nation that was facing a crisis and observe, see what we can see from their response to that crisis. And then in part two, which will be the greater part of the message, we'd like to look at some of the practical ways for us to respond to this crisis of today. Our text for this morning is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. And I'm going to read that account here to begin with to uh, get us familiar with this account again. And if you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to follow along as I read from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hezeron Tamar, which is in Gede. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If, when evil cometh upon us, as a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Israel, 
but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, and it tells us there exactly who he is, upon Jehaziel came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I'll stop reading there, although that is not really the end of the account. It goes on. There's more interesting details to follow. But I think that's enough for this morning. Without a doubt, the nation of Israel here, or Judah, was facing a crisis. And this crisis was real, and this crisis was getting closer. They could see it approaching. Does that sound familiar to us today? It was even coming from beyond the sea, it says. They saw it coming, and they knew that there was nothing they could do to stop it. And the people's hearts were filled with fear. That sounds pretty much like our situation today. So how did Judah respond in this situation, led by King Jehoshaphat? There are many lessons we could learn from this passage, but I would like to briefly highlight just five aspects of his response. So the first part of the message, as I mentioned, is a biblical example. Later, we'll get to some practical applications. Jehoshaphat's response. First of all, he responded by seeking God. Now, it's obvious today that a lot of people are seeking a lot of things. Uh, they're seeking... They're seeking relief through economic stimulus packages. People are seeking answers from the medical field. People are seeking man-made solutions, and we could name other things that they're seeking. And my question is, are we seeking God? Is our community seeking God? Jehoshaphat responded by seeking God rather than going to all the nations around him who could have been his allies. He came to seek God. Are we serious enough about our needs today to fast about it and to gather together for public prayer, even if we do need to meet in groups of fewer than 10 people and stand six feet apart from each other? We need to come to the place where Jehoshaphat did and realize that God alone has the answer to our problems. So Jehoshaphat responded by seeking God. He also recognized who God is. He recognized that even though the situation looked out of control, God had all things under control. As I've been thinking about these events this week, I, I was reminded of the, um, the account that took place in Oberammergau, Germany. 
How many of you are familiar with that account? Well, I don't see any of you raising your hand, so I guess I will um, tell you the story. And at this point, it may be a little bit difficult at some points to decipher between facts and legend because this is an account that happened hundreds of years ago and the story got passed down from generation to generation. But I will relate the story as I remember hearing it when I visited Oberammergau some years ago. In 1633, the bubonic plague, also known as the Black Death, was sweeping across Europe, and it lasted a number of years. And during this time, tens of millions of people died, at least. Records aren't clear. Some estimates go into the hundreds of millions of how many people actually died. But Oberammergau was a picturesque village nestled in the Bavarian Alps in southern Germany. And this village was sufficiently distanced from a lot of other communities that while this plague was ravaging through the country, so far they had not been touched by it. So they decided that they're going to voluntarily quarantine themselves and not allow any contact between their village and the outside world. So they set guards stationed at all the passes leading into the village to stop anyone from entering the village with the desire that they could spare themselves from this plague. For a while, they remained free of the plague. But there was one young man from the village who had been away when the quarantine went into effect. And as he returned home to his family, he was stopped by these guards and not allowed to enter the village. Well, he felt just fine. He did not think he was sick. He really wanted to get home to his family. And so he thought certainly it would be no harm for him to return. So he waited till nightfall and then went sneaking through the woods around the guards and entered the village. Well, as you can guess, it wasn't long until this man became ill. And it was apparent that the quarantine that was intended to protect this community had failed. The disease quickly passed from one villager to another, and before long, there were 80 people in that village who had died. One day, some of the town leaders, the church leaders, and some of the residents of the village met for a time of public prayer. I guess they were not uh, quarantining themselves from each other. They met at the village center for a time of public prayer, asking God for his mercy on the village and asking him to spare their village. And during that prayer, they promised God that if he would deliver them, they would perform a reenactment of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not sure what they thought that had to do with deliverance, but that was a promise they made. And the interesting thing is, from the time of that prayer meeting, no one else in that village died. In fact, the people that were ill became, gradually started getting better, and the sick recovered. From that point on, as the story is related, no one else became sick or died in that village although the plague continued to ravage Europe and other areas. And just as an interesting point of reference, in the 380 years since that time, the villagers of that village have continued to fulfill this promise to God by reenacting this play every 10 years. They do it from May throughout October. 
And they've done that every 10 years since the 1600s, except they missed one time in, the 19, in 1940 during World War II. Nearly all of the several thousand residents of that village are involved in one way or another in acting out that play. Now, it is interesting to note, this year being 2020, it's an even 10-year uh, span of years. This is the year for that play to be reenacted again. And of course, Europe and the rest of the world is again facing a crisis. So they decided to, po to postpone the play for two years. Now, I tell you this story not to encourage conditional commitments to God, such as, if you deliver me, then I will live for you or serve you or do whatever. But I tell you this story to remind you that God does have the power. We need to recognize who God is. We need to seek God and recognize who he is. He is the one with power. That's what Jehoshaphat did in these verses, in verse 6 and 7. He said, O God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land? God is the God of power. And today, more than ever, or as much as ever, we need to recognize who God is. Well, moving on, Jehoshaphat also remembered God's promise to him in verse 9. And he says in his prayer, he refers back to a promise that God had made earlier, which we may be looking at later. When if, when evil cometh upon us as a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, if we stand before this house and in thy presence and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. He remembered God's promise. Now notice in this verse that God did not promise an absence of evil. This verse says, when evil comes upon us, we can expect evil. The events of this world should not surprise us. We live in a fallen world, and God told us that pestilence will come. And it's good for us to remember that we are pilgrims here. We are not tourists. You see, tourists expect to be catered to. They expect to enjoy all the luxuries and conveniences. Pilgrims expect to endure hardship and to struggle in their journey. We are not tourists on this earth. We are pilgrims. Peter, in his epistle, said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. He may have been referring there to persecution, but he said, these events are normal. We should expect hardship and difficulties in our journey through this land. This verse says, when the pestilence comes, not if it comes. So God did not promise an absence of difficulty, but he did promise that he would hear, and he did promise that he would help. When you call, if you call, he says, I will hear, and I will help. That is the promise that we have from God. Now, I find it interesting that Jehoshaphat did not only recognize who God was, he also recognized who he himself was. And he goes, goes on to, to tell God about that. And we see that in verse 12. 
O our God, would not thou judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. I think that describes pretty much uh, the way a lot of us feel um, as we look at the events of, of our world today. We have no might. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to expect. But our eyes are on thee. You know, perhaps that's why God brings hardship into our lives, just to remind us of who we are, to remind us that really we're not in control. And when we realize that, that is really when God is free to work. You know, events like the COVID-19 pandemic that we're facing help us to see exactly how powerless we are. Four months ago, none of us dreamed that something like this would turn the world upside down in such a short time. You know, men do what they can, but it's so little. Face it, we do not know what's going to happen. We do not know what the situation will be even one week from today. James reminds us of that. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. We need to recognize who we are this morning. And the fifth observation here is that Jehoshaphat received God's answer. And we could go on into this account and point out a lot of further details there. Uh, in verse 14, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came with a message. And it's interesting to me that I don't think the answer that they received was the answer that they were expecting. I don't know what they were hoping for. They were obviously hoping for deliverance. They did not know how it would come. But the answer they received was probably not exactly what they were expecting. But they received what God had for them, and they received it with joy. They received it with worship. And that's what we need to do this morning. We need to receive what God has for us, and we need to receive it in a spirit of worship and awe and humility before God. Let us re recognize this morning who God is. Let us recognize who we are and respond by worshiping God. So how should we respond? We'll move on to part two, a biblical response. Now, as we observe this pandemic around us, I think we have observed many different extremes. On one hand, there's paranoia. There are people who respond with paralyzing fear, who predict nothing but calamity and doom. On the other hand, there are those who respond with a cynical, nonchalant disregard. Some of them intentionally host virus parties, live it up, blandly disregarding common sense precautions. So while some people counter chicks before they're hatched, other people bury them before they die. Neither one is appropriate, and we need to find an appropriate balance in there somewhere. What is an appropriate response for those of us who have put our trust in God? And I have a number of things that I think are good reminders for myself and for all of us this morning. And perhaps, first of all, let's address this issue of fear, this fear that is invading our society. As Christians, 
we have a responsibility to renounce fear. There's no doubt that there's a dark cloud hanging over our community, our nation, and the entire world. In fact, if there is one thing that has spread faster than the coronavirus itself, it's the spirit of anxiety and fear that have preceded it. So we need to be aware of what's happening. We need to be concerned about what's happening. But let us not fall into the grip of fear. Fear is a tool of Satan. I believe Satan uses fear to paralyze believers, to render us ineffective. He wants to use fear this morning to bring defeat to God's people. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, talk about fear and talk about how Satan uses fear. And it talks about God delivering us from fear. And it's referring here to the death of Christ, that through death, he might destroy him, Satan, that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This verse tells us that if we live in fear, we are being held bondage by Satan. That's not a good place to be. We need to be aware, as I said, we need to be responsive, we need to be proactive, but let us not be paralyzed today by fear. An unhealthy level of fear keeps you in bondage. And while the internet can be very helpful and can be very informative, I think it comes to a point where we just simply need to turn it off. Continually browsing all the latest details and gruesome accounts will only serve to feed your fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So if you're experiencing fear, cry out to your father. Tell him your fears. Turn it over to him. So fear is a tool of Satan, but deliverance from fear is the plan of God. 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 7 is a verse I've heard quite frequently in the last several weeks. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, deliverance from fear is God's desire for us. And I'm also going to read some verses from Philippians 4. It's a number of verses. I do not have them projected here. I think these verses would make good theme verses for us during this time. Be careful or be worried, be overly anxious, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things, Paul says, which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. If fear has been gripping your life, if you've been struggling with fear, it may be time to recognize it for what it is a tool of Satan. Confess your fears to God. 
Tell him your struggles. Ask him for victory over your fear. Have a good talk with God. Go for a long walk. Tell him what is on your mind. Spill it out to him and then leave it with him. You know, fear, I believe, is fed by the media. And like I said, uh, the media can be very helpful. There's a lot of things we can learn, but sometimes we just simply need to step back and take an objective view. And I have a couple figures that I'm planning to share with you here this morning, and I hesitate to give too many figures because I know by the time you listen to this sermon a day from now, these figures will be outdated, a lot of them. And by giving figures, I'm not pl- uh, trying to indicate that we do not have a reason for concern. But sometimes it just helps us to get things in perspective. According to a report issued about 8.30 last evening, which was Friday evening, so far there were 7,000 deaths in the United States due to the coronavirus. To date, just over 7,000 deaths in the United States. Now, again, I recognize that this is nowhere close to ending. And in another week or two, it's very possible that these figures will seem very small. But for comparison's sake, in 2019, a one-year period, in the United States alone, there were 47,000 deaths from suicide. There were 74,000 deaths from drug use. Now, as I said, I understand that as we're looking at the coronavirus deaths, at this point, we may just be looking at the tip of the iceberg, as it were. No one knows how many Americans are going to die from this virus. There are predictions that there may be between 100,000 and 200,000 people who die because of this. No one knows. And that may sound like a much larger figure, and it is a much larger figure, but I have one more number I'd like to share with you. In in 2019, last year, there were 800,000 deaths by abortion. Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive by throwing out these numbers. Every single death is sad. And if it's your relative, your friend, your parent who dies, it's a personal tragedy. But let's not get caught up in the spirit of fear. What I'm bringing out here this morning is that the coronavirus is not the only thing to be concerned about. But fear can do that to you. It can dominate your thinking so that you think about nothing else. We have other things to be concerned about as well. So if you're controlled by fear this morning, confess it to God and plead for deliverance. Renounce fear, number one. Number two, respect authority. Shelter in place. Stay at home. Keep your distance. Limit your travel. Close your non-essential businesses. No school, no gatherings of more than 10 people, including church services. How should we respond to these restrictions? I want to remind you that this is not a time of persecution. This is not a time of punishment. Persecution is a response to decisions that we have made, things that we have done. These are simply common sense, preventive responses to the situation we are facing. The verse I shared earlier, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind 
That means we need to maintain a clear mind. We need to think logically. These things are simply common sense ways that we need to respond. And that includes following many of these practices. We need to thank God for people who are concerned about the welfare of our communities. People are doing what they can to protect us. This includes both those with political authority who are putting some of these guidelines into place. It includes those with medical expertise who obviously know a whole lot more about this than I do. I'm glad that these people don't simply throw up their hands in despair. Many places in the world have it a lot worse than we do. This week I learned of uh, someone that lived in the village where we had lived in Romania. They were expecting a baby and they went to the local hospital. The hospital said, I'm sorry, our doors are closed. We're full, no room. We will not receive you. And they would not budge. They went to another hospital, were turned away again. And they eventually ended up going two and a half hours till they found a hospital that would accept them to deliver their baby. Let us thank God for people who are concerned and who are doing what they can to help us. We need to pray for the people in the front lines. We need to pray for medical personnel who place their own lives at risk in order to serve others. Someone was telling me just yesterday about his daughter who's an RN in a local hospital. And he said, this, this daughter said, every time she crosses a threshold, threshold, threshold into a room of a COVID-19 patient, there's this battle between fear and faith, recognizing that she is putting herself at risk. Let's pray for their protection. Let's pray for our leaders for wisdom to respond. And I think it is our duty as Christians to comply with the guidelines that are put into place. Let us not, by our actions, be a poor testimony to our communities. Let us not give occasion to the world to look at us and blaspheme the name of God or the followers of God. So, move on to point three. This is a time to reflect on your life, to reflect seriously on your life. The sobering fact is before us on a daily basis, people are dying. And it's very likely that people that you know will be afflicted by this virus. It's very possible that people you know will die from this virus. In fact, the number of people that die could very well include some of you who are listening to this message here today. That possibility should not fill our hearts with fear, but it is a good reminder. Unless the Lord returns first, every one of us is going to die. Hebrews 9.27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. James 4.14, I mentioned before, whereas he knew not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then passeth, vanisheth away. We are going to die. And death is not a morbid subject or a subject we should avoid. It's a fact of life. So we know we're going to die, but we just don't know when. And we don't know how. God does not give us the option of choosing when or choosing how. And if the coronavirus is a method that he chooses, who am I to disagree? Who am I to argue? So this is a good time to reflect on my life, 
it's a good time for you to reflect on your life. Would you be ready to die if your time should come? In the next few days or weeks? Or do you have some unfinished business that you need to take care of? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and these are the promise, uh, verse from promise of God at the dedication of the temple. And he says, If I shut up the heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, Maybe it's to remind them of who they are for whatever reason. And he says, when that happens, if my people, which are called by my name, that's us. We are the people who call ourselves Christians by God's name. If my people shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This verse was written to God's people. So let me ask you, are you the person that you want to be when you die? If not, now is the time to become that person. How do you want your family and your friends to remember you? By the way, you've been living the last couple of weeks. Have you been grumpy because of the restrictions that come upon you? Do you want to be remembered by the comments that you've been making? If not, now is the time to change. Is your heart right with God? Do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Do you have unresolved issues with other people? If so, now is the time to confess. This is the time to reflect on your life and to get your life right with God. As Hebrews says, today is the day of opportunity. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. I believe, brothers and sisters, that God is giving us a vivid reminder that we are going to die. He is also giving us a gracious opportunity, a gracious reminder, a gracious opportunity. Let us not let this opportunity pass by from us. What else can we do in response? I think this is time to refresh ourselves. Some of us have extra time in our hands, some of us may have been wishing for extra time for a long time. So what are we going to do with that? Let's maximize our relationship with God. Let's spend extra time with God, with him, more time with his word, more time in prayer. Develop that relationship with God. We need to maximize the silent moments that we do have. Think for a moment of all the events in the history of the world that took place in solitude. God called Moses when he was living in the solitude of the wilderness. He also spoke to him in the solitude of Mount Sinai. God encouraged Elijah in the solitude of Mount Horeb. Jesus spent countless hours in solitude out in the wilderness, out in the mountain, in communion with his, with his father. Paul wrote much of the New Testament while he was in prison in relative solitude, confinement. John Bunyan wrote to Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison. I understand that Thomas Edison did a lot of his research and developed many of his inventions in intentional solitude so he had no distractions but could concentrate and focus on what he was doing. 
So what are you accomplishing in your time of solitude? Is it something worthwhile? Is it something that will be a blessing to others? Maximize those moments. Maximize your family times. Sing together more. Provoke each other to love and to good works. This past week, our family has been taking turns giving each other a challenge for the, the day ahead, something to do. It's been interesting to see what different people come up with. One challenge was to make a card and send it to someone within the next day. Another challenge was to spend 10 minutes praying for a particular individual or to go on a prayer walk. Maximize your family times. Have fun together. Moving on, this is also a time to reconnect with others. And I'm thinking especially of the effort that we need to make to stay in contact with church people. I've never stood at this pulpit and preached to an empty church before. And it's easy to feel like we are out of touch. We need to make effort to stay in touch with each other. We are a body. We are brothers and sisters, and we need to connect. Send a text. Make a phone call. We need each other. I think especially the older people, people that are barely able to leave their homes, they'd love for someone to help pass their time, but they're really not supposed to open their home to visitors. But they may talk on the phone. They may still receive email. Here's another suggestion. We like going Christmas caroling. How about you decide to go Easter caroling this week? Find someone who lives close to you. Go stand outside their window and sing a couple Easter songs. After all, you are allowed to travel to care for the elderly. I think we also need to consider people who are facing severe disappointments. And we have a number of people in our congregation who have dealt with some severe disappointments in these last weeks. There are high school seniors who are missing out on part of the climax of their 12 years of school. I think they're handling it well, but it's a big deal for them. Faith High School has 26 seniors who were expecting to be in Grenada at this very moment, this week, today. They already had their tickets. Their trip was canceled. In two weeks, Caleb and Lydia were and are planning to get married, but many of their wedding dreams and plans evaporated into nothing. So let's remember people who are facing disappointments. Send them a message. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. God's grace will be with you. And if you are experiencing disappointment, don't see yourself as a victim. Be a victor. Allow this experience to develop you into someone better, to a better person. People who are able to accept the events of life and move forward and make the most of every situation. A quote that I remember someone shared with me many years ago when I was going through a difficult time. Faith is knowing that God has a better plan when I am left with shattered plans. God has no surprises. He knew the day you entered first grade that you would be sitting in your home in April of your senior year. He knew before you had your first date what kind of a wedding you would have. Now, you might not find that to be much of a consolation this morning, but allow your faith to carry you through. There's other people we need to remember, our VSers. Some of them needed to come home on short notice because their work came to an abrupt halt. Some of them are confined where they are. 
Some of them have increasing pressures where they are because of, of this situation. Let's communicate with them. Let's connect with them. Our school teachers as well, I admire what they're doing, the effort they're putting forth. They've been doing a tremendous job. Connect with them. Thank them for what they're doing. One more aspect. This is a time, I believe, for us to renew our faith in God. Jesus told us when he was here on the earth about some things that were going to happen. He said, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, great earthquakes and famines and pestilences, fearful sights shall be given thee. And when these things come to pass, then look up and lift, your, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. You know, we were told that there would be pestilences. This is a reminder that God knew what was going to happen. And it's a reminder that he still knows what's going to happen. And it's a reminder that the other things that he prophesied will come true as well, are going to happen. This means that we have a lot to look forward to. A lot of good things. You can read about what's going to happen. It's not all pleasant, but the end is out of this world. We have a lot to look forward to, and this is not a season to despair and to give up hope. It's a season to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, this is a time to renew your faith in God. The end of our race on this earth is closer today than it ever was before. Are you ready for that day? Are you looking forward to that day? <clears throat> Are you looking forward to exchanging this earthly tent in which we dwell for that house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens? In summary, some people respond to this with fear. There are some who are responding with anger. There are some who respond with boredom. What is your response? Can you resolve together with me, first of all, to renounce fear? Ask God for victory over your fears. Respect authority. Do what we can. I think we have that responsibility to do what we can to prevent the spread. We need to reflect on our life, and not only in our lives, but on God's provisions, God's salvation. Have we received the provisions that he has provided for us? Let us refresh ourselves as we have time of solitude. Reconnect with others, especially make contact with someone in the church. You might want to make it a goal every day this week, every day in the next weeks, Contact, connect with somebody in the church. And finally, renew your faith in God. I will close with several verses from Romans 8, along with a few of my own thoughts. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or, per or peril, or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor global pandemics, 
nor social distancing, nor sheltering in place, nor face masks, nor closed businesses, nor faltering economies, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we are living in unprecedented times. We've never experienced times like today. And like Jehoshaphat, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on you, God. And we're reminded this morning again that every one of us is dying. Sooner or later, and every one of us will stand before you in the judgment. Lord, prepare us to meet you. Search our hearts, God. Know our thoughts. And if there's any wicked way in us, Lord, place your finger on that. Help us to see that, to turn it over to you, to confess our sins and follow you. And Lord, I pray for the individuals who are listening here to this sermon. The many members of our congregation, Lord, you know the needs, you know the struggles, you know the trials that people are facing. Where there is fear, give peace. Where there is loneliness, may they be comforted in your presence. Where there is disappointment, Lord, I pray that you could bring personal growth and experience out of this disappointment. I pray for our seniors, for Elmer Wayne, for Elmer, for Kendall, Larissa, Regina, Amy, Shannon, Michael, and Abigail. Lord, help them to rise above their circumstances and become better people because of this. And I pray for Caleb and Lydia and the disappointment they're facing. And I pray that what they are missing in their wedding would translate into a tremendous blessing in their marriage and give them a stronger marriage. I pray for our VSers for protection for them as they're serving, some of them on the front lines. You would protect them with health. And while they're separated from their families, may you be near to them and give them strength today. I pray for CJ and Jordan. I pray for the older people isolated in their houses. Lord, I pray for protection for our families and our church and our community. We're in your hands, God. We want to receive what you have for us. Maybe it is not the answer that we hope for, that we expect, but we want to receive, Lord, what you have for us. I pray for our political leaders, for our medical leaders, and the decisions that they need to make. And Lord, may we turn our eyes and our hearts to you during this time and use this for the building of your kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.